Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. I am joined by your favorite author and mine, Helene Wicker. Thank you for joining. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me on again. I am excited for many reasons to have you on because I know that you have a, uh, a deep uh, interest in uh, talking about the next generation specifically. And uh, <laughs> you are... Uh, uh, a novelist that I admire and you let me, you gave me kind of an advanced copy of your forthcoming book which makes me feel special, so thank you for that Aw, yes that was a bribe so you could have me on to talk about a first season Next Generation episode uh, You see it, it, it backfired on you because you thought maybe yes, I'd get a good episode and uh, <laughs> you, you did not <laughs> this episode that we're going to talk about uh, which is Too Short a Season episode 16 from season 1 the, f- the episode before a previous appearance of yours, which was yes. also not a great episode, um, <laughs> is, is not great. But before we delve into that, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I am, as you said, a writer. My first book, The Golem and the Genie. Sorry, I can't even say the name of my own book. The Golem and the Genie came out uh, a few years ago. Um and it is about it takes place in turn of the century new york and there's some fantasy and a little bit of romance and some like literary historical stuff and the next one um is uh called the hidden palace and it's coming out june 8th and will be available wherever fine books are sold and not fine ones yeah just wherever the books are sold yeah just the books I'm very excited about it. I mean, I just started reading it today. Oh, really? Yes, because uh, you gave me a little while ago, but I was reading another book that I had taken out from the library, and so I had to get through that book before I could uh, get. And then I was re- the book I was reading, which is good, uh, and you'll understand this. You're, you obviously read a lot, uh, although probably the last several months slash years you've been writing more than reading, I imagine. Yeah, um, yes. Some books catch you. Like they hook you right at the beginning and you, you're just kind of pulled through uh, and other books do not, uh, but they're still good uh, and you're mm-hmm. enjoying them, but it's just not like this kind of uh, ballistic journey through the book. And so I was, I was in a, a slower book that turned out very well, uh, but uh, I, I did not gobble it down. Uh, but now, <laughs> now I, I read like the first two pages of your book. Uh, so I'm excited. Very cool. I, I'm honestly, when I said, oh, really? That was because I was surprised you'd gotten to it already. I have to let a book marinate on a shelf for uh, at least like two or three months before I can pick it up. I don't know why that is. I buy <laughs> books and then I just let them sit there and become like part of the furniture. And then finally I read them. I am surrounded by hundreds of books that I have purchased and not read yet um, that are probably thousands if you include the electronic books on my Kindle. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I totally... Totally get that. But uh, sometimes I do have, and I don't let me know uh, if you do this. I do have kind of in my head, I have a mental like list of order of the books that I'm going to read. Like I know what I'm reading now. And then I think about, oh, what I'll read next. And maybe the one after that. Um, do you do you do that? Uh, I sort of do. But then more often than not, I end up like totally upending it mm-hmm. um, because some new hotness comes along that I have to like grab and let marinate on my shelf. Um <laughs> So, yeah, and, and oh my God, so many books that I've bought and not read. I had, um, I got a Humble Bundle um, yesterday that was, you know, I, I, I chipped in enough to, to get all everything they were offering. So it was like a good two dozen books. And 
I downloaded them all to my Kindle. And as I'm like watching my Kindle chug away, I'm like, who am I kidding? Like, (laughs) really? (laughs) Really? These are all going to get read when? I do. I do. So uh, depending on when you're listening to this, perhaps the pandemic is a long distant memory, (gasps) but it is currently not. Uh, And and so we've been living through it for for along forever basically it feels like at this point uh but i decided you know as part of my uh good deeds and i'm putting that in quotes uh during the pandemic i would buy a bunch of books from independent booksellers because you know they're always struggling and even you know doubly so now because no one can go although you know states are lifting restrictions blah blah blah. it doesn't matter uh the point is I've ordered a bunch of books and then I keep buying books from Amazon on my Kindle. Uh, <laughs> and then I keep taking books out from the library. So it's like, yep. it's, 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 I'm just burying myself in books. Do you do the thing where you buy the book and then you get it on the, um, you check it out digitally from the library? Yes, I do. <laughs> yep. Yep. I do that too. And I don't know. Because sometimes the Kindle is just easier. It's, it's so light. It's- that is yep. that is the thing, uh, and and it ha- it lights itself up so that yep. if I'm reading, uh, you know, before bed, I don't need to have a, a book light, which are wonderful things, but uh, kind of annoying as well. And for those of us with like really you know screwed up wrists, like to hold a hardcover in bed is just not it, it's not ideal. So like no. I, I have uh, the Kindle and I put a, a pop pop. What are those things called on oh, the back of yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they're called. It's so I can socket. literally pop socket. So I can literally like lie flat in bed and have it like just like one elbow bent on the pillow and just be reading like staring up at my Kindle. Ooh. And so yeah, Amazon is a blessing and a curse. And um, <laughs> I do feel yeah, so, slightly guilty when I buy things yes. from Amazon, but it's so easy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's how they get you. <laughs> and they got me. So what they can do. I do? Uh, yep. Nothing. And, oh, but before we move on to what people actually are probably listening to this about, I do want to give a shout out to Libby, which is a great app, uh, and you should yes. check it out if it is in your your if your local library is a, a Libby member. I don't really know how this works. I guess they they license it or something. I don't know, but it's great. Uh, check it out if you don't have it, uh, and see if your library is there. Hopefully, it is because uh, while I love public libraries. Uh, immensely their websites generally leave something to be desired mm-hmm. uh, much like i love independent booksellers uh a whole lot but their websites yep. also <laughs> are generally <laughs> awful <laughs> and i understand it's not their core competency but uh when you're trying to buy a book from them and you are incredibly frustrated by their website that's not great bookshop.org is yes. filling a need mm-hmm. it so totally if- is if you want to support your local booksellers, but also want a easily navigable uh, website buying experience, bookshop.org is the way to go. And it's really pretty. And it is. They've got lots of books And there. they've got really good curated reading lists, like like things that aren't the norm, like interesting niche subjects that, you know, it's like, oh, would I be interested in that? And suddenly there's 30 books that I absolutely must read, mm-hmm. you know? And here's here's uh, uh, we're not we're going to continue talking about books for a second because I have a tip. <laughs> if you are listening to this and you own a bookstore, an independent bookstore, <laughs> uh, and you're looking for book selling advice from someone who doesn't know anything about what they're talking about, uh, here's here's a tip for me. 
when I go, because I want to support the bookstores, right? So I want to go in and that means that I don't necessarily have a book that I want to buy in mind, right? I just want to show up and I want you to tell me what to buy. And so your website, the first thing you should see on your website, two things. I should see your address and your phone number. Uh, and I should see your staff picks, uh, and you know, maybe new arrivals, uh, because yep. I want to click on something and say, Oh, this person I see likes, you know, the Gollum and the genie and the other books <laughs> that I really enjoyed. And so maybe I'll buy this book that I've never heard of because they recommend it. And you lay your stores out like this, but you don't lay your websites out like this. It drives yeah. me crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's always, you know, it's, it's hard. It, it's not, like you said, it's not the core competency, mm-hmm. but uh, Kareem, my husband, it developed this not it probably wasn't really a relationship but he you, you were talking about staff recommendations mm-hmm. he was doing a lot of travel for a while for his job and was going through the san francisco airport and i think it's is it book passage that has a um uh store there um and he realized that there was one guy in particular uh one of the staff who their tastes overlapped and so he would just like, even if it was just like he had five minutes in the bookstore, he would just go find whatever it was that the guy recommended um, on the shelf, you know, with with the little the shelf talkers mm-hmm. and just buy a copy and get on the plane. And, and it was always like the the it always worked for him. And he finally met the guy like he, he got to the <laughs> he, he had a, a longer wait for a flight at one point and, and managed to like be there on the day that the guy um, was there and they just like chatted about books for 20 minutes apparently that must be so. a weird kind of meeting because you feel like you've you've like you said you you developed this one-way relationship with this person yeah and you feel like i know your tastes so i feel like i know you much like it when you meet someone from a podcast or something i was just going to say must much like when you meet someone you've been listening to for years on a podcast mm-hmm. and it's this weird thing where you as the person meeting this person know so much about them or feel like you know so much about them that you're like yep. picking up a conversation that you've had and the person that's meeting you like knows nothing about you and of course, wants to be nice, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. it's just a weird thing. And I've had this very small, uh, in a small way, happen to me. Uh, I used to write about uh, the Mac technology things. Uh, and so I went no. to... Yes, it's true. Uh, <laughs> once I went to Macworld and Macworld, uh, RIP Macworld, uh, the mm. conference, uh, Pouring one was out. the only place where I was even... And I'm not going to say celebrity, but people recognized, like knew who I was. Some people, yep. a small handful of people. I don't want to, I'm not, you know, getting an inflated head here. I understand my, pe- my, my rank in the uh, pecking <laughs> order here. Um, but it was just strange to see, you know, people come up to me and say, Hey Scott, what do you think of this? Or, you know, uh, and just kind of start talking to me like they knew me and a couple of things. One, A, that's just kind of weird in general. So for people who are really famous, it must be incredible why, why they don't go outside Bizarre. uh yeah and and b i am uh, an introvert and so having to do small talk with people i don't know is very taxing and so <laughs> it, it caused a lot of stress <laughs> yes yes anyway. i am i am good at it um until i run out of of steam and then <laughs> and then it must be like taken back to a room and put in bed and and you know then i can't can't talk to anyone for like yes. a day or so. And you want to, you want to, you, you appreciate that they want to talk to you. So you want to talk to them and, and, you know, yep. give them your attention. And I'm sure you get this because you are, you know, in the ranking order, you are far higher than I am. So people are uh, like, OMG, uh, let me talk to you about your book. Uh, <laughs> do people always ask you the same questions? That's, a, that's lovely, uh, I'm sure. But do they always have like a, one or two questions they always ask you? There's, 
There's a number of questions that I get asked over and over um, among book groups. It tends it tends to fall out um, demographically, like depending on who the reader is, this aspect of the book is the one that they'll be interested in. Um, so you know, I want to make generalizations, and I guess I just did, but you know I can sort of you know the whether you're interested in like the the relationship or the Judaism or the mm-hmm. the history or the um the the more mystical aspects or or the you know the New York buffs will you know ask me about stuff, and then there's always like just the oddball out of nowhere sort of question. Um, I, I was at uh, a high school called uh, Illinois Math and Science Academy um, a couple of years ago, and I was giving a talk to a bunch of sophomores, like the class, like the sophomore class. And I got a, now these are, these are math and science. These are, you know, geek head kids. And someone asked me a very pointed question. Um, about the, I had said that um, the Statue of Liberty, I described it as like gray, this, this, you know, grayish green statue. Um, and they basically took me to task and said <laughs> that um, the, the year 1899 was too close to when the Statue of Liberty was erected and the copper would not have pat- patinaed that quickly. Um, and they basically told me, you know, gave me whatever the, the half-life of copper that, you know, <laughs> yeah, however it oxidizes and blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, everyone, like, like this kid's friends are going, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're like, I think they, like, goaded him into asking me the question <laughs> because they'd had some huge debate about it in class. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, kids, like, like good on you. That was a fantastic question and one I'd never been asked before. And so I was ill-prepared and they got me. <laughs> Well, that uh, feels like the perfect segue to, to, to do that very same thing to an episode of Star Trek that is uh, <laughs> several decades old at this point. Yes. Uh, because that's that's what this whole podcast is about, you know, uh, asking questions that the people who made this show never thought it would be. Uh, yep. And also, if you're a Star Trek actor listening to this podcast, which you're not because none of you are, uh, I'm sure that you uh, experience what uh we just described in spades when people come up to you and say in episode 16 oh, of boy. the first season you captain picard was standing slightly uh, you know next to this door and was that an intentional choice and i'm sure you're just thinking <sighs> i have no idea what you're talking about and it's it's like you know someone ate the wrong sandwich for lunch and and you know because of that they were angry and mm-hmm. decided to stand over here it's like who knows who knows any of these decisions it's just Ugh. a job, people. Yep, uh, yep. But to us, as a fan, I get it. <laughs> it it's, is it's, canon! It is canon, and we must know. Uh, yep. And so I will say, I don't know if I have ever seen... I must have seen this episode of Star Trek before, because it is the first season of TNG. I love TNG, but I had no... Once again, I've had no memory of this episode uh, I, until I watched Absolutely it. the same thing. I know for a fact that I watched every single episode of the first at least two seasons of Next Generation because I was so excited about it coming back. And I can't remember this. I, I just had no memory of it. My my husband had a vague memory of it, but he thought it was an original Trek episode, mm. which I find fascinating. It does have but, that feel. Uh, there's yep. a lot of talking and not a lot of anything else. 
A whole uh, lot of talking. <laughs> about this guy, uh, you know, the big guest star. Uh, it, well, I don't know who this actor is, so but the the big guest character, I should say, Admiral Mark Jameson. <laughs> That's he's kind of the the pivotal character in this episode, um, and he's also wearing. So I don't remember anything about this episode. But once I saw Admiral Mark Jameson in his like 50 pounds of old age makeup, I thought, oh, yeah, well, he's just going to become younger somehow. Yes. Uh, and it's the title. pretty clear. Yes. Yeah. Makes it clear that something's going to happen with him. Also, he is supposed to be, what, 85 and he looks like he's like 400 <laughs> years old. Oh, my God. They did. It's just, his face is just dripping off him. It's just sort of disturbing. Yeah. I- um. And and I, I of course went to Memory Alpha because you have to. Mm-hmm. And they there were a couple comments on there about how even the the directors and the producers were like, yeah, the makeup didn't quite work. <laughs> it's it's a bit um, much. Yeah, he sells it physically pretty well. Yes, I feel um, like he he's walking around like an old man when he's walking around. Yeah, and when and. You know, not to give it away, but when he finally does de-age all the way and and he's there, I was not expecting him to be as young as he was. I was expecting him to be like in his fifties. So I yes. was decently impressed that that um, he managed to to pull off um, at least my the the body the body language made him like age up in my mind. Yes, and when he said he was a young man when he he did this, and I thought, well, that you're forty, so you're not really that young. But I guess if you're eighty five, forty is young. Uh, yeah. And then that made me think, well, who, how old is Patrick Stewart now? Oh God. And he is eighty. Uh, and so he's only he's five years younger than this uh, ancient man in this episode uh, who's eighty. Oh my God. It's it's uh no, that's my that's the we will now. Uh, close my uh nerding out over how old this person is <laughs> for no particular reason although it's pivotal to the plot right it's it's the whole plot yeah. of this episode is that he's an old guy uh but he uh the enterprise has been sent to pick him up because uh this planet is they're hostages on a planet and they will only talk to him uh for some reason uh well yeah. he he i guess 40 years ago was on this planet and brokered a peace um we later find out that he brokered that piece by selling everybody weapons and then leaving. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> details. Yeah, details should be tales. I, and speaking of which, I have to say that, like, the whole setup just washed over me um, at the beginning. It's like we, you know, we, we captain's log, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly it's like Picard, it's a couple talking heads talking about hostage negotiations and some civil war that happened a while ago and uh they want a particular negotiator and so we have to go find this guy and and i i i just immediately like flashed to the the opening crawl of um the first star wars prequel and trade negotiations (laughs) have broken down it's like like just instant snooze so so I was I had to like sort of play catch up at that point like after that I was like okay wait 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 this guy I know he's like he's really old and but what why or what's why why are we picking so, up this old and, guy yeah why are we exactly why are we picking up this old guy he needed he needed to go to CVS and they're just gonna drop him off but he has to talk to Karnas who has an interesting <sighs> office 
uh, in which he uh, uh, talks to people and he has, so, you know, we're living in a Zoom culture now. So, you know, mm. you have to look at the room that people are in. And he has decided to do his video conferences flanked by like two giant eagle statues, yeah. which I thought was, you know, a power move that maybe I should take <laughs> up in my meetings at work. <laughs> Let's see what people say. Just add a couple of giant statues next to me. <laughs> yes. But he's apparently like the strong man in charge of this uh, this world um, who pretends to be nice, but also apparently has uh, continued to have uh, uh, death squads that can, can make people go away. Yep. Is not nice. Don't do that. Nope. Uh, no. So they beam up uh, the old dude with his wife. And, uh, and they were ready in like 30 seconds, which I loved. Like, he's he, okay, well, I'll, yes, I'll do this. And then, like, mm-hmm. we, well, at 1500, and then Worf says, It's now 1500. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, well, better get to the transport room then. Yes. And that made me think with replicators, you don't really need to pack. Yeah, that, oh, you're right. So you can just show up and, uh, you know, replicate. One assumes like you 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 uh, upload your preferences or something and uh, it can print out all the things you need. And apparently you don't need to like call dog sit or anything. The house probably does it for you. I, I would think so. Uh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> and this is where we find out <gasps> that he Admiral Jameson. I mean, this is not a big shocking thing, but it's a giant prop in in the episode uh, is he's like in the most TNG wheelchair it's basically they took a chair like the captain's chair and then built a like a substructure around it and uh he's he's riding around it 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 looks like they took an away shuttle and shrunk it down by like 70 (laughs) percent, and then just sat him on top of it yeah (laughs) yeah my husband said in the future all wheelchairs will turn you into davros (laughs) (laughs) it is true you would think that maybe they would have um some sleeker conveyances for for folks that mm-hmm. need it uh, in the future. And apparently, once again, according to Memory Alpha, the uh, director was uh, super annoyed by having to deal with this giant prop that they couldn't figure out where to put it and how to move it in and shots. It, it never worked. It never worked correctly. It never rolls. You never see it moving. Mm-hmm. They always just sort of put them in it and put it in a corner. Uh, yes. and But it is it is a big presence to show you this guy. I mean, they did it basically to say, look, he's really old and he has this disease. <laughs> <laughs> the older you are, the bigger the wheelchair they give you. Exactly. When you're 120, they 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 just they just give you like an SUV and you just ride around in that. And he's he's got what Iverson's disease. Iverson's, yes. Uh, which uh, you know, I don't know. Doctor Crusher knows what it is. I don't. But apparently, uh, it affects the mind. No, it affects the body, not the mind. So Crusher's mm-hmm. like he'll be fine. Um, but you know, we have to do the normal scans and such. Uh, just the, the medical scans to make sure he's a-okay as we go off to our adventure. He doesn't want them to do the medical scans, which is kind of uh, uh, fishy. fishy. Yes. yes. And, but he then provides his own medical scans, which you know, they're, they're not good. Past their sell-by date. Exactly. They're two months old. And oh, the other thing I wanted to, to mention about this episode is that this is the first appearance in TNG of an admiral and it, oh. early on establishing the fact that Starfleet admirals are horrible people. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. Do we ever meet a good one? Uh, well, I think not maybe, for a while. No, it takes a while before we meet no. a good admiral. Uh, they're, they're all like in league with, with brain stem aliens mm-hmm. or like covering up their own bad decisions. <laughs> That's right. Now, now this episode 
is as long as a normal TNG episode, uh, but there's not enough story for it to be oh, as long God. as it is. It really isn't. <laughs> it's it's so much talking. And so we, we so we know. Okay, he's an old guy. Uh, he's kind of pining for his, uh, his his younger days and when he was you know on a starship and he was doing stuff. And now you know you get the sense that he's been stationed. He's not retired, obviously, because he's he's hanging out in his uniform uh, or well, maybe he is retired and still hanging out in his uniform. But uh, he's like stationed there with his wife on this planet. One assumes it's kind of like a backwater planet that because he's an admiral, they just say, okay, sure. You could be in charge of this base. Uh, yep. Just stay out of the way. Uh, <laughs> you're super. So it's like getting the ambassadorship to Tahiti or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and now this is his chance to be, you know, his, his one of his triumphal moments of uh, his career, he can revisit uh, and also make sure that, you know, no one finds out that he has lied to everybody for 40 years <laughs> about how he solved this problem. Um, but I guess he's worried that he is not going to be fit enough to, uh, to, to handle this because he's got Iverson's disease and he's 85 years old. And so, I mean, there's a lot more that happens. Well, actually there's not a lot more that happens, but there's a lot of mm. stuff on screen that walks past before we find this <laughs> out. But <laughs> turns out when he found out when he was first diagnosed, he then became obsessed with uh, some fountain of youth on some planet. <laughs> Cerebrus. Yes. And so he, he, uh, two Cerebrus two. Sorry. <laughs> no, well, you got to get the right planet. <laughs> you you have to be specific. get letters. Yeah. Uh, and uh, luckily for him, he's like this great negotiator. So he negotiated something for these people um, and they were quite <laughs> happy. Uh, and so for everybody else, they say, no, we totally don't have the secret of eternal youth. But for you, we'll tell you the truth. We do have it. It's just not perfect. Uh, it takes a while. It may not work. It could kill you, um, but it also could, you know, make you forever young and uh, cure you of any diseases that you have. And so it's like, sign me up. Uh, also, give me one for my wife because I love her vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vaguely. <laughs> and I will say, not enough to actually tell her anything. <laughs> I know. So he doesn't tell her anything. And then, in one assumes a fit of impulse or something uh in between like the two minutes where he says yes i'll yes. go on the mission and he beams up to the enterprise he uh takes both doses i guess he's been yeah. doing one dose but he takes the rest of that dose and then also her dose like the whole thing at once and he's supposed to like have it spread out over like a couple of two years, years and... or something yes yeah because he wants to be like at his fittest to mm -hmm. to to stare down carnass and he doesn't think that people might think it's strange that he is yeah. rapidly turning younger. <laughs> yeah. And that he can walk suddenly. <laughs> yes. And that, yeah, that's... And, okay, so we're we're sort of, I know we're like el eliding a whole bunch of stuff, but there's this one scene where he's on he's on the, the bridge. He's made a big deal about the fact that he's like in charge of this mission and, mm -hmm. and, and he's basically... Um, you know, sidelining Picard. And so Picard offers while they're on the bridge for him to take the, uh, <laughs> to take the con. And he gets up out of the wheelchair and the wheelchair has like these double doors in the front that, that open up and he like stands up and staggers out of this wheelchair and then takes what felt like about 15 minutes to walk from the wheelchair to the con 
while everyone is staring at him in open mouth shock as though they've never seen an old person walk before. <laughs> and I understand that what they, you know, try are trying to do here, like they 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 everyone looks at this man in the wheelchair and thinks he's totally enfeebled and here he is, he's walking. Um but it's just somehow bizarre that they're all just staring at him in silence as he walks mm-hmm. um, unsteadily. And it just felt very uncomfortable. It did. And I must admit um, that I, I kind of missed the fact that he couldn't walk because they show him walking a little bit earlier. So I just thought, oh, he has limited mobility. Uh, yeah. And so this scene struck me as this is when I realized, oh, he can't, he's not supposed to be able to walk at all. And that's yeah. why I am treated to this very long scene of him walking very slowly down the ramp. Yes. <laughs> you know, they would have, it would have gone a lot better. You're right. If they hadn't had that scene of him sort of levering himself out of the wheelchair in mm-hmm. his quarters, um, if it had just been him like sitting in the chair the whole yes. time. And then he gets up out of the chair. And you're like, oh my goodness. Yes. But, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And so basically he's awful, right? Because he, <laughs> he, uh, he, he is very, Concerned about being in charge of the mission. Um, and he, in a nice way, he says, okay, Picard, you're in charge of the ship. Like, I'm not taking over your your captaincy, but I am 100% in charge of the away mission. And he is 100% in charge of the away mission because he doesn't want anyone to find out what he did earlier. Uh, and basically, he just wants to uh, – he figures out that Karnas actually just has the hostages. Karnas has said, oh, they're terrorists that have taken these hostages. And – I don't really but remember no. why Karnas has taken these hostages to get Jameson back. I don't remember. He he learned from I had to I had to read the recap to figure this out. He learned from the Federation ambassador who was on the planet that Jameson was still alive. And cuz he thought apparently Jameson had just died of old age driversons or whatever. And once he heard that Jameson was oh, still right. alive, he wanted his revenge. And so he manufactured this whole thing with um, hostages that we never even actually see to <laughs> lure true. Jameson to this planet to basically go ha 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 and then kill him. That's right. Oh yeah, now I remember there's a, that dramatic scene where he explains that he wanted yes. Jameson to be here so that he could show him all the 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 pain and suffering he's caused to this planet for yes. you know as long as the planet's been around, I guess, or for the last 40 years. Because uh, it's not been a smooth transition, it seems, from uh, uh, rebellion and uh, war to Carnass uh, being the strong man with his uh, dueling eagles. Um, yep. <laughs> and uh, his plan does not work, but uh, it does continue to make Jameson look bad because he is like, I'm in charge of this mission. I'm taking, you know, these people, Worf and uh, Tasha Yar, I think, goes down. And, yep. um, forget who else it doesn't matter uh and then captain picard's like okay yeah you're totally in charge of the mission but i'm the captain so i can come with you uh and i always think well you shouldn't go with him because you're the captain but fine uh you you think something's up and you're right so you could go with him and see what's happening uh and this is you know they're really trying like you know jameson this is at the point at which he's he's much younger now and he's going around uh he's trying to have sex with his wife and she's like (laughs) <laughs> that was actually like slightly shocking to me was was the line um where she's lo- talking about how young he looks and she says come here and he says i hope you mean to the bedroom <laughs> and it's like dude star trek the next generation my goodness you're you're making <laughs> you're flustering me oh my um, 
Yes, exactly. Um, so that, yeah, I, I wish, I wish his wife had gotten better shrift um, in this in this episode. Yeah. Um, she's basically there to react and to be very sad about everything and and to yell at him a little and to be outraged um, that um, and to- I guess she's mostly annoyed, not annoyed. I mean, more than annoyed. If you find out your spouse has uh, concocted this this scheme that could result in them dying and not telling you, uh, and then thinking it's okay because they had a, a, a portion for you, but then they took it themselves. Yep. <laughs> That's like, it's just you're piling up bad decisions here. Uh, <laughs> and so she uh, is not appreciative of this and um, not shockingly. But he's like, no, no, it is totally fine uh, because I still love you. And uh, I will get another dose for you. So it'll be fine. Even though he took two doses. So one assumes he'll be like a tiny little baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. With a raging case of pink eye at one point. That was icky. Oh, yeah. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. So he goes down and he's like, oh, no, I, I was here 40 years ago. So nothing. Clearly nothing has changed. And I will yeah. not look at the maps or anything. Any data that you have data. Uh, yes. I will just say we have to go down this hallway because 45 years ago this is where he hid people and he's totally going to do it again to which point and data is like dude you should have told him to because <laughs> this this just ain't the same this now. is just a dead end and he explains yeah. his his thinking and someone says isn't that like a very obvious place to hide your hostages <laughs> wouldn't he just hide them someplace else he's in charge of this whole planet uh and, and he's like no no trust me i know Cardass. he is predictable uh <laughs> Turns out, we yeah. know, the, the the hostages weren't there. A wall that wasn't there before is there, uh, and which and this is another scene that I think goes on way too long, where Tasha Yar and Worf cut through a wall, and I'm like, okay, yes, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> You're cutting through the wall. It's like watching someone open a can of beans. It's mm-hmm. like, ring, ring, ring. You know, okay, you just do that for a while. Yeah, I was expecting, honestly, I was expecting them just to shoot a hole in it, like, you know, wide dispersal phaser. Uh, It's not a very thick wall. Let's shoot a hole in it. But nope, they've got to shoot a little outline and and go through. It was was, was not good. Uh, But no hostages behind that wall, but people with phasers shooting yep. at them uh and i did like there was the scene i enjoyed because data says he runs over to captain picard and says captain those phasers are set to kill and uh captain picard says yes i've heard that sound before <laughs> <laughs> and i thought okay i like that <laughs> i like slightly annoyed picard <laughs> yes uh, and so they don't die, clearly, because nope. it's the first season of TNG. Uh, Jameson is sad because he couldn't find the hostages, but they have to beam and up. He, he has an attack. Oh, that's right. He, and he, he, like, he like has pitches a sort of an attack because of the medicine is, is playing merry hell with his systems. And so they all beam back up and, and... in the middle of a gunfight, <laughs> which seems awfully, I don't know, convenient. Maybe why, why, why don't you beam the people who were shooting you instead beam them somewhere inconvenient to them beam them to the brig beam them into outer space beam them somewhere else yes the transporter if you stop to think about it for a while uh, is problematic <laughs> in many ways and in many 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 ways <laughs> and i feel like in uh discovery uh they they kind of steer into it because now there are personal transporters so people are, are transporting all over the place without needing a ship <sighs> so Okay, this is why I need to start watching Discovery. Yeah, that's season three. Because, spoilers. If you haven't, well, okay. it's a minor spoiler. 
Don't, don't worry about it. I've been I've been spoiled on a bunch of different stuff that doesn't mean anything right now and will only mean things in uh, in in retrospect as I watch it and I'm like ah this is what everyone was yelling about on Twitter okay mm-hmm. yes uh and yeah so he's uh he's fine <laughs> <laughs> he's fine he's just got pink eye and he's sweating a lot yeah and he's, and he's acting. And I did, I glanced at my notes and the one thing I did want to mention because I wrote it down is uh, when he tells his wife, this is before all this happens, what he was planning to do, she has a great reaction, which is, I'm sure you believe that until you had a mission, uh, which I think oh, really yeah. sums up his character, right? He's like, I want to mm-hmm. do that. He thinks he's being selfless. Uh, and he probably thinks, you know, I'm, I'm assuming Oliver North also thought this, like I'm doing the right thing by doing the wrong thing. Uh, yep. And so he's like, I'm doing the right thing by doing the right Like This is good for you. Uh, what's good for me is good for you. And so if we solve this problem, I'll get more, you know, youth juice and, and I'll give it to you. Yep. And it'll be great. And he has a history of doing the right thing by doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of consistent to his character. And one thing that, that we passed over that I thought was, is like the one sort of fascinating bit in in the story was when it comes out that it he says it wasn't my golden oratory that saved them captain when he did this negotiating you know 40 years ago it was the the the, the, the official stories that he went in and talked everyone down and 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 achieved peace and he um instead the truth was that he gave that Karnas demanded weapons, and so he gave Karnas the weapons, but then gave the exact same weapons to Karnas's enemy, mm-hmm. um, and then everything descended into civil war. And he called this my interpretation of the Prime Directive, and I thought that was so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like the one line in there where it's like, "Ooh, let's examine that." <laughs> no, we're just gonna pass right over it. Like that, that you could interpret the prime directive to mean do the same thing to everybody. Yeah, you know, I mean, inv- advance everyone to the same degree, and then just like let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, is just a fascinating thought. I do think that is a a valid, if problematic, interpretation of the prime directive, which <laughs> which makes it so interesting. And that's how you know we see these characters all the time, and probably have met people like this who uh, twist things around in you mm-hmm. know their. Because basically, he's he wants to be at least we only see him in this episode, right? But it seems clear he wants to be the person who solves the problem. Yep. Uh, and so, however, he's going to solve the problem. He's going to twist the facts around it to make it look like you know he did the right thing, um, yep. and and so he makes questionable decisions uh, and doesn't seem to care about the impact that he has because you know he's a negotiator. He shows up. Fixes the problem. He's like a, cons- a consultant, right? You pay him lots of money, although in Star mm-hmm. Trek, no money. They they fix the problem. Uh, they leave, and they. it turns out they've never really fixed anything, and they've caused yep. four other problems, and now you don't have any money. <laughs> yep. Yep. And no offense to consultants who are listening. Uh, that's just kind of – you, not you. You, consultant who are listening <laughs> to this, are a good consultant, and you would never do yes. such a thing. But you know you have colleagues who uh, who do. Yep. And I guess he it ends up with uh, Karnas doesn't believe that it's Jameson, and he's very upset, and he's like, uh, who is this young dude who and showed up? we spend up? way too much time on convincing Karnas that this is actually Jameson, and the way they finally, it, 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 that Picard solves it with a PowerPoint presentation just sort of blew my mind. 
um, with the, he's showing, look, no, see, and it's like it, these de-aging photos that he's, mm-hmm. he's lined up one after the other. And it's like, oh, come oh, okay. on. <laughs> okay. You've completely convinced me. Uh, Everyone was very willing to believe things in the 80s, or to believe that other people believed things in the 80s. I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. And then Jameson dies because, yes. uh, you know, as he did say in the beginning that this this uh, elixir of youth could, you know, either solve all your problems or, or kill you. And it uh, turns out if you just drink it all, bad things happen. Uh, yep. You get a pain in your side and then you die. And then and then you turn into poor man's Val Kilmer and then you die. <laughs> That's right. And everyone's sad. No, oh, everyone's not that sad. Um, no. Nope. Uh, uh, and Morden is like, okay, fine. I believe it's Jameson and I'm happy that he's dead. So I'll release the hostages, although we will never see them. And uh, we'll bury this dude on this planet that caused nothing but trouble to him, really. So it seems yep. like a weird choice. Very strange choice. <laughs> Uh, and we'll leave <laughs> and yep. never speak of this again <laughs> and then Bakar will give us the homily mm-hmm. which is old age ain't so bad yes that's true you know you you get does he talk about gaining wisdom and all this stuff the, so. yes the quest for youth is so futile mm, yes it's true he says and there's right. there's a there's a good line about uh when when, when Jameson is dying in his wife's arms and and he calls her Annie with the golden hair and she says, it's gray now. And he says, I see only the gold. And it's like, oh. and this is his tragic flaw that he could not see the beauty mm-hmm. in the gray, mm-hmm. that he saw only the gold and he could only see his youth. And then he dies. And then he dies. I wonder how old that actress who played his wife was because she doesn't strike me as being like, he's super in his makeup. He's so old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his wife is, is just in what sixties. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to, I bet memory alpha will tell me, uh, how old yeah. that actress was. I didn't recognize her. Uh, sometimes there are like famous people who uh, suddenly mm-hmm. show up. Her <laughs> name is Marsha Hunt. I don't know who Marsha Hunt is other than Anne on this episode of Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> she's currently still alive, apparently. Uh, she's 103 currently. What? Really? <laughs> yes. Good for you, Marsha. She was born in 1917. So Wow. That is crazy. Marsha, goodness. I wonder if she would like an elixir of youth. Yeah. It's probably whiskey. Like, once they're, <laughs> for some reason, when everyone's 103, the thing that they like say keeps them alive is like a whiskey every day. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> she was 71 when this aired. So probably 70. Really? When they, uh, she looks. In this episode, she looks fantastic for a 70-year-old woman. Yeah. I'm just going to say yeah. it right now. Yep. Uh, she looked way, way... Well, obviously, he looks ridiculously old, so, you know. Yeah. But even... Everyone else looks 30 compared to him, but <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, so, good job uh, for still being alive, Marsha Hunt. Yep. Very uh, cool. <laughs> unless Memory Alpha is lying to me and that uh, she died, and then I will uh, apologize. To we you. are raising a glass to Marsha Hunt either way. That's because right. Because she got... She got seriously like the short end of the stick in this episode and they could have done a lot of more fun things with her character but they chose not to oh well that's right oh and in wikipedia she uh she has a very um 1950s publicity photo on uh, her wikipedia page so uh there you go and you can see why she was an actress uh not only because (laughs) that's uh, she was she's good at this but she also has that actress look yep all right, so that's uh, too short a season. Let me ask you, my what did you what did you think of this episode overall? You know, I I 
So I saw in the opening credits that DC Fontana was credited as uh, one of the, not one of the writers, but like one of the originators of the story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sort of surprised, but also not surprised um, because I was like, okay, but shouldn't it have been a better story. But then I was like, but this does feel like old Trek in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that, I know the first season, at least of Next Generation, was sort of wrestling with, which was how do we take Trek into into this new era, um, and how do we write these new stories um, based off old ideas of what a Star Trek story looked like. And I know there was, you know, I vaguely know I haven't read any of the like the tell alls or the histories or anything of of all the insanity that was going on with, with Roddenberry and, and not wanting to share control and having his basically consigliere like, like step in and, and like try to insert things into scripts and whatever. And it sounds like it was just an absolute madhouse. So in that sense, it's like, you know, stellar that anything got filmed at all. Um, but it, it really felt like in some places it almost felt like bad Shakespeare. Um, and the 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 ending scene in particular, or not ending scene, but the the the, the sort of final confrontation where you've got Picard and Jameson and the Enterprise crew on one side of the room, and it's it's almost like this giant stage, and it's like there's all these pullback shots of of the two groups. You've got you know our our heroes standing on one side, and you've got Carnass and his men who all seem to be over fifty for some weird reason, <laughs> um, hand holding these these you know guns standing on the other side of the room, and it looked to me like a production of Julius Caesar. <laughs> like, where where you've got Caesar and his men, and Brutus and his men, and, you know, all of the, uh, you know, the senators all standing around, and the towns, the, 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 the Romans, and, you know, everyone's sort of arguing with each other, and there's people in the background looking shocked. But it's all happening in one room, in one take, or, you mm-hmm. know... And they are just declaiming things at each other. And, and Karnas is saying things like, he brought this retribution on himself. And, and I will, I will, my revenge is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, it felt like Shakespeare in that we, everything is in such shorthand as well. Like, and I was thinking about this afterwards. And, and one of the things that, that Shakespearean audiences, and I, I know I'm just going on, I'm just harping on this for too long, but there were there were conventions. If someone told you that two teenagers saw each other and fell instantly in love, you believed them because that was the suspension of disbelief. You didn't say, okay, wait, does that actually happen? And, you know, what? If it's just hormones. It's not, you know, no. These two kids shared a sonnet in iambic pentameter, and that means they are in love. That is the formula, that is the convention, and that is what we're going to follow. And a lot of the story felt that way to me. It is, we are going to tell you that this is happening, and therefore, you are not going to question it. That is just the ba- that is that is the setup, and that is what we are running with. And the fact that there seem to be only five people on this planet, <laughs> we're never actually going to see the hostages. The guy had completely spe- specious, like, reasons for doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Probably could have killed this guy in any number of ways. But no, he just wants to watch him suffer. Something, something, something. That's all just water under the bridge. That's what gets us to the ending and to the credits. And 
and and it and it was just I don't know I'm just thinking about this I'm thinking about like when the bow breaks and I really want to go back and watch a bunch of 80s TV now and see if it's all like this. Mm. And we just, you know, I was 13. I was willing to accept anything that anyone threw at me. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, you give me a thing and I will believe it and I will believe it wholeheartedly. And I'm not going to, you know, this is Star Trek. So this is, you know, this is holy writ. And I'm not going to question. And now watching it, it's like it's like eating a Twinkie and being like, yeah, this is not what I remember. This is, in <laughs> fact, quite disappointing. I so but I, but there are moments there's moments here and there where it's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is why. Mm -hmm. Like like there's this one moment when um, uh, Picard and, and um, Jameson are arguing and in, in, in Jameson's quarters and Anne is there and. Uh, they're, they're just, he's talking about, I, I think this is when Jameson says that this is when he like upended the bottle and he took both doses and the look that, that, um, Patrick Stewart gives, um, the woman who plays Anne is just like, uh, are you believing this? Because I'm not believing this. And you know, like, like, well, how are you with this? And just this like open eyed, like what? And it's a, but it's very understated at the same time. And so it's just. It's like, okay, Stuart is amazing. He is always amazing. He is a saint. We knew this. Um, and every once in a while, there's just like this flash of brilliance, um, whether it's like the interpretation of the prime directive or, you know, the, this look, just, you know, any number of little moments. It's like, okay, that's, that's what took us through. That's what took us through until the show got better. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay. All right. I see what you're doing, episode. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'd almost rather this be an old, uh, uh, an original series episode so that I could be like, well, that was back then. You know, that was the 60s. That wasn't the 80s. That's right. We were. You know, that was, that was really old times. This was when I was alive. <laughs> yes. This episode aired 33 years ago. Oh, my God. I had to do the math to depress us all. <laughs> why? <laughs> well, that's why, you know, when I'm I'm watching the original series, I think, well, this this show was on so long ago. Uh, and yeah. then I watched TNG, and now I realize this show was on so long ago. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> but it doesn't feel that way, because I was alive. No. It can't be that long ago. Yep. Oh, well. But... Thank you for joining me. I apologize that we had to talk again about a not great first episode, uh, first season episode of TNG. But you're uh, just going to have to have me on one more time. We're going to have to. We're going to have to break the streak. We're going to have to keep. You were. We're. I, I fear that we're just going to make our way through the first season of TNG. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> oh my god. Well, thank you for being on. Well, thank you for having me. 